0: pray heavenly father stretch our minds with your truth stretch our hearts with your love stretch our souls with your glory and set our wills on fire with a passion to honor you in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen please be seated I think it's human nature to wax eloquent with nostalgia about the good old days, whatever what kind of good old days it was. We think of all the good things, and we seem to conveniently block out all the bad things, all the things that were hard or uh, difficult or unpleasant. It's kind of human nature. And we're continuing in looking at the letter of Hebrews today after last week's excellent sermon by Father Bates about faith. So today we're going to see a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant after the peon of praise in chapter 11 to all the ancestors of the Bible and their faith, what they accomplished by faith, often in face of severe opposition and often with never reaping the benefits of exercising their faith. He contrasts this with the giving with the coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The writer compares the situation under the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. He contrasts the giving of the law, attended by dramatic signs of warning, with the coming of grace in the person of Jesus Christ and its note of invitation. So would you turn with me to page 4 in your bulletin, and we're going to have a look at Hebrews chapter 12. In verses 18 and 21, then, we have the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Now, Sinai is never named, but it's obvious that's what it is. And all seems designed to keep God and humanity separate. Strict boundaries prevent the Israelites from gaining access to the presence of God. We have a staccato list of graphic imagery, a blazing fire, Darkness, gloom, tempest, sound of trumpet, and a voice that made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken. And even Moses himself said he trembled with fear at the announcement of this word. In contrast to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, we have in the next verses the coming of God in the person of Jesus, portrayed in terms of an invitation. An invitation to community. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn. The word for assembly in the Greek is ekklesia, the word for church. Assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To God, the very presence of God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He can be the mediator of a new covenant because on his death on the cross, he has fulfilled the requirements of the law and its sacrifice so that we can enter into this new covenant on the basis of his blood. So he's a mediator, and his blood, it says, uh, is, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, it's interesting that the blood of Abel is not the blood sprinkled in sacrifice in the temple as required by the law, the sacrifice of goats and sheep. But rather, he refers to the blood of Abel, the blood of vengeance, the blood of jealousy and envy, where Cain could not bear that his son would be, his brother would be accepted by God and he would not. And so he resorted to violence. And this great contrast between the blood of vengeance and violence and the blood of gracious self-giving from the Lord Jesus. So it's a community composed of a diverse group. I don't quite understand all the references to angels and spirits and firstborn. But it does talk about God in the midst of them and Jesus, the mediator. And then we just skip down a couple of verses to, t- to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then we come to this, I think, surprising verse 29, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. You may have noticed that our passage today is bracketed by fire in the first verse, in verse 18, and fire in the last verse, in verse 29. We have the fire of the blazing fire on the mountain where they're given the law, to warn them to stay away, to keep respect the boundaries. Only Moses and a few others were allowed up. And if anyone else presumed to come uninvited, they would be killed, even, it says, animals themselves. So why now, in the New Covenant, is God described as a God of consuming fire? What's going on? It seems out of place, more in line with the God of the Old Covenant. Well, while the covenant has changed from old to new, God has not. He is still a God of holiness and a God of passion and a God of jealousy. God longs for us to share in his passion for holiness and graciousness and spreading his love. As it referred, uh, as Father Bates was saying about um, Miriam remembered electricity coming... Uh, it's, uh, we take it for granted that we can turn on lights. But what was it like before? Certainly fire is a, quite a predominant theme in the scriptures. Can you think of other instances of fire in the Bible? What comes to mind? We have the fire of the burning bush, where God attracts Moses' attention, yet warns him, don't come near, take your shoes off because where you're standing is holy ground. And then he goes to Egypt and leading them out. God comes as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them, but to keep them separate. Then there's the blazing of the fire in Mount Sinai that we've looked at. Fiery furnace. All kinds of imagery of fire. In this age of electricity, we still light fires in church. We still light the candles. The candles are an important part of our liturgy because it's a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world and that we're called to be the light of the world. Just as electricity is dangerous if not handled properly, so too is fire. When my mother was young and uh, my grandfather would go to the barn at night with all the wood and dust, how did they light their way? I took a lit lantern. Think how dangerous that is. I, I, I kind of shake every time I think of that. One little mistake, and that fire goes into this, the hay and the straw, and it goes up. You think of the great fires the great fire of London in 1666, the great fire of Chicago in 1871, the Bastrop forest fire in 2011, and even now, the great fire in the forest of the Amazon forest. Great power. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, his hearers didn't think of a flashing neon light. They thought of a blaze. They thought of a candle. They thought of a campfire. When he calls us to be the light of the world and to shine in the darkness, we too need to think not only of the light, but of the energy, the danger, what we're called to, the risk, the vulnerability, all of that. A consuming fire speaks to us of holiness and passion. Faith is not only what Father Bates talked about last time, and, uh, an understanding and a belief in a living out, but also as a fire burning within us. Look back on page 5, where we, after the Gospel reading we said about, in the hymn, The light of knowledge ever burning, shed on us thy deathless learning." John the Baptist said about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Last week's gospel had Jesus saying, I came to bring fire. I don't quite know what he meant by that, but I like to think he came to charge us up, to set us alight, to make a difference in this world, to remember that we're called into a community that's to live out its calling with passion and holiness, When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was revealed as flames of fire on the heads of the disciples. And we remember that when the bishop comes to visit, and his hat, which we refer to as a mitre, we sometimes forget its fashioned to look like a flame of fire, to call to mind that energy around the Pentecost. In Hebrews it says, Pursue peace with everyone, and the holiness... Without which no one will see the Lord. And so God calls us to reflect His energy, His passion, and to burn with fire. We heard that in the Old Covenant, it was a word that people were terrorized by. But in the New Covenant, Jesus comes as the Word Himself. And in the Gospel reading, He speaks a word to the woman who's infirm, and He says, Be free. He speaks that word to us, be free. But it encounters conflict. The religious leaders say, you shouldn't do that. Don't do it here. Don't do it now. Don't do it on the Sabbath. Nevertheless, Jesus did it. When we engage in his mission, we will have opposition. We will have naysayers. But we need to move on and to fulfill his calling. What might you do to fan into flame your passion for the glory of Christ. It's very easy, as I've said, to, to take things for granted, to get casual, to be apathetic about it. Well, in the gospel, in the text today, in verse 28, it says, Be thankful. It's, it's sort of the, the one command there in, in this whole comparison. Be thankful and worship God with reverence and awe. Thankfulness that he has saved us and reverence and awe that he is a holy God and calls us. We might also think of ways to help out other people. If you kept reading in Hebrews it goes on to say to um, to visit people in prison. John, right in Hebrews, right after this it says to be kind to everyone, exercise hospitality, visit people in prison, do what we can to help other people. But also as a community to engage, there's a story of a pastor who went to visit a parishioner who had fallen out of the habit of coming to church, and he had been encouraged many times to come back, and nothing, no words seemed to make any impact. And so he went to visit this farmer, and he was sitting around an open fire in the fireplace. There was a pile of coals, and the pastor was not really saying anything. He just took a stick and he knocked the pile of coals so they were all spread out, and they quickly began to fade the glow went low. And then he piled them up again and they started to come to life again. And then he spread them out again and they went cold again. And he brought them together again and it started to burn again. And the farmer looked at the pastor and said, I'll be back to church next week. (laughs) So may we too encourage one another. May we engage, ignite ourselves to burn with a passion for his love for justice in the world, for compassion and generosity, and to care for one another here at St. Francis. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.